Okie dokie. This is a different container. Okay, good evening everybody. <clears throat> I was going to make a joke, not a good one, about um, something that popped up on my computer here. Um, it's recommending me to uh, make my presentation more inclusive by including subtitles. And I was thinking that's, make, ha, 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 make that funny. But then you're probably actually going to need it tonight because you can't, you're not, not going to hear me very good. So, because I can only talk down here. I can't talk up here. So, so make sure you listen after really, really good tonight. And uh, we'll do our best to get through this here. Um, we're on lesson four. And as you see, we actually have your outlines for the first time. It took four weeks to get it. Thanks to Mr. Follett helping get the printing to work um, in a pinch tonight, so definitely appreciate that. <laughs> that is here. So Jonah, go ahead and turn to Jonah again, because that's where we've been. I, and I definitely will need some reading help tonight, sure. Um... Lesson four, a countering rebuke is the title for this evening's lesson. Um, so we're going to read Jonah 1 and then verses 4 to 10. Go around the room and read those, and I'll ask you if you can start at verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay, and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him, and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God would think upon us, that we perish not. And they said, every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. The God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So if you, if you can't hear me, let me know, and I will try and talk a little bit. Uh, can't really talk louder, but I'll try and talk. Maybe it'll vibrate more, and you'll feel it and hear it better on that. So for those on the recording, if you're listening to this, I've been sick this past week, and so my voice has uh, suffered because of that. Um, so we'll get through it tonight as best as we can. Um, so lesson four, <clears throat> a countering rebuke. Um, you know, God never sits idly by as we make wrong decisions. You know, as, a, you know, as a loving father who cares for us, you know, he doesn't want us to get hurt by our own sin. 
And the wise person will make a U-turn at the first warning signs that he gives. Um, Proverbs 15.5, it says, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Um, so the theme of the lesson tonight you know, is rebellion and stubbornness are very wicked sins. That's 1 Samuel 15, um, 22 and 23, particularly with, those, with the verse there. Um, now, we all make bad decisions along the way, but how we respond to those is important. When God speaks to us after said decision, do we dig in our heels you know, to prove that we can win without God? Or are we attentive to that correction? You know, Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And then, of course, it says another, further down there, you know, if we're without chastisement, then we're not his in that. So the objective is kind of to look at tonight, um, just to realize they know that God loves us even when we make bad choices, and he will intersect our path to correct us there. And... When that happens, to respond to his first correction until unless it becomes more severe. So it doesn't become more severe. And to show that there's a price to be paid for every step taken down the wrong path. You know, we eventually may turn around and get it right, but then at what cost when we keep going and don't respond to that. And then in light of that, to see that in that course of our disobedience, the damage that we do to the testimony of Christ in that. So we'll get on uh, started right here into um, sub-point, or not sub-point, main point um, A. Well, actually, even before that, we've kind of already touched a little bit on this. No, God's not going to let us go down without a fight. Um, his intense love for you will go the extra mile to keep you from ruining your life as well as the lives of others. Of course, I've already read Hebrews 12, 6, but you know, no one likes to be told that they're wrong, or worse yet, be chastened in the process. Um, think of David. You know, he stated in Psalm 51, his sin was ever before him. You know, God was, has a way of reminding us that we're going a wrong way. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit's job you know, to reprove the world of sin, and he's certainly capable of doing that to us too in that. You know, thinking of Jonah now at this point, he's not very sensitive to the reproof of God, is he? He's been saying no to God for, I mean, who knows how long God told him this. I mean, who know, I mean it doesn't say no. Was this the first time God said, spoke to him, he said no, and then he went? Or you know, had God been talking to him for a while, and he just kept saying no, and finally, no, I'm going. doesn't specifically say on that. But either way, he's definitely been saying no to God for quite some time, however long that period of time has been. His conscience has definitely become kind of dull, and his sensitivity to the still small voice of the Lord has been lost here. Thus, God has to get out the big lumber, so to speak. Deliberate disobedience calls for drastic discipline. Kind of interesting here. So point A, these actually... Um, the, all the main points, there's actually two blanks here, as you'll see. And they are all, the first letter start, the first word starts with a B. And the second blank there, they all start with an S. So B is the first, um, first word, and then S is the second one. 
So any ideas? The what of the what? Verse 4 may help you out a little bit. That was a good idea, but not quite. This is specifically, if you look at verse, look at verse 4, it will help you out. Breaking of the ship. Before any of that happens, what has to start? Before any ship's getting broken, what's... Yep. We'll just keep going here. It is the... The blasting of the storm is actually... Some of these are kind of not easy, especially when there's two words. Uh, so some of these are a little uh, interesting. You guys missed it last week. Um, the last point was um, purchase order. So um, that one was, uh, I don't know how anybody would have guessed that one. But uh, the blasting of the storm. You know, not every storm or trial in our lives is a result of sin. You know, of course, think of Christ. He suffered as no one ever has before, not because he did wrong, but because he was right, really. You know, there's numerous you know, situations in Scripture of people who endured great trials, but not evidence that it was a result of a sin in their lives. Uh, different people in Scripture think of Job, Joseph, um, think of Daniel, Paul, were situations there. You know, storms can often make us stronger or provide opportunities to glorify God, but there's nothing that will get our attention quicker than a trial. You know, it's often in these great crises that our only hopes to turn to the Lord. And because God created us for his pleasure and fellowship, he's willing in his love to use a storm to bring us back home to his will. So sub-point A here, all of these, um, I think there's two, A and B, they both start with a C. What was that? That's correct, an omnipotent creator. Um, verse 4, you notice the phrase, but the Lord. Of course, aren't we glad that God still loves us, you know, even when we go astray and directly against him? Um, Revelation 4.11, no, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. No, when our lives no longer bring pleasure to God, he's willing to do whatever is necessary to bring us back to that. Um, you know, and to do that, he's got all the creation at his disposal to do that. Psalm 119, 90 to 91. I don't know where we left off. I think it was Abby. Go ahead there. <clears throat> Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth mid the Bible. I might Interesting. All of thy servants. Now, everything that God has made is his servant. Interesting. You think about that. You know, that's how he can make a rooster crow at the right time to convict Peter. You know, he can make a donkey talk to convict a, a prophet. And he can use a fish or a whale to swallow Jonah. You know, that. Now, what do they say of Christ? In Matthew eight twenty seven, that's the next one on there. Now the song goes, he's got the whole world 
in his hands. So uh, subpoint A, an omnipotent creator. Subpoint B, an overpowering. This starts with a C too, yes. Thinking of the situation, it's a, um, this is a longer word. Not calamity, not conviction. I'll start it here and you can get it. See if you can start it before it finishes. An overpowering circumstance. You know, when we fight against God, we're always going to lose. <laughs> it's interesting to put it. But isn't it? So why do we do it so much, you know? I don't know. It's just you know, fighting God, as it says in here, is like trying to win a war against laser-guided missiles with laser tag guns. That's <laughs> what it says. Um, you know, Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, 2-9 to reminds us that of, God, of God's power over creation circumstances. So whoever has the next one on that can go ahead and start that. 1 Samuel 2, 2. Let's start that one. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more, so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The vows of the mighty man are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath born seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive, he bringeth down the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich, he bringeth forth and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. Again, this is all the blasting of the storm, thinking of in Jonah's situation, an omnipotent creator, and then an overpowering circumstance. You know, Job asked, you know, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered, talking about God. And then Isaiah also talks about, you know, woe unto him that striveth with his maker. So um, main point two here. So we see there was the blasting of the storm. And then sub point two, again, this is uh, two words. First one starts with a B. Um, the second one starts with an S. I think you pretty much got, you guys have pretty much already said this one. I think you might, I don't know if you guessed it on the first one. <clears throat> so think of, think of progression. We have the blasting of the storm. Second word is right. The breaking of the ship. You know, when Jonah heard the wind howling and felt the rain falling, he should have retreated. You know, but unfortunately, he wasn't, he wasn't on the deck of the ship to see the lightning bolts, was he? He was set on his disobedience. 
So it took more than just the storm to get his attention. Think about that. It's kind of interesting. It took more than just the storm to get his attention. Had the storm gotten his attention, all that would have been broken was his will. But now the damage was more severe. You look at how does verse 4 end? Again, if he, if he would have stopped here, the only thing would have been broken was his will. But it got worse because he did it. Okay, subpoint A, man's refuge is, and both of these start with a V. V is in violin. Man's refuge is... This might be a one to get. It's not vain. Vanity is, is a longerish word. I'll start it up here. Man's refuge is vulnerable. Where was Jonah during the storm? Now, was he huddled with the other guys watching for a break in the weather? Now, was he talking with the captain trying to figure out what they're going to do? No. He was sleeping. Because he trusted God, right? You know, that's what Jesus did. You know, during a storm. No. No, it just seems that he was oblivious to what was taking place, and he really didn't care. You know, his reasoning: Hey, if I die, I don't have to go to Nineveh. <laughs> you know, well, maybe that was his thought. Who knows? I mean, he's like, Yeah, go ahead and kill me, God. I can't go to Nineveh if I'm dead. You know, he found refuge in his disobedience and, resol and he was resolved to write out the consequences. It's kind of interesting thinking about that. You know, sin's refuge is a pretty lousy counterfeit to the Savior's redemption. You know, man thinks he's happy without God. You know, Psalm 34, 8, No taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. You know, the lost sinner will always find refuge in his religion and good works, but he's vulnerable. In that man's refuge is vulnerable. Of course, you know Titus 3, 5, and 6. Uh, not by works of righteousness which he had done, but according to, uh, which we have done, but according to his mercy saved us. And then you know the rest of the verse. You know, thinking and then as a Christian, we can find refuge in our own way. But what does God say in Isaiah 55? My thoughts are not, are not your thoughts. In Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but, and there are the ways of death. So man's refuge is vulnerable, and then subpoint B, man's resolve is, this has already been said, it is vain. Man's resolve is vain. Now in verse 5, the mariners on board the ship realized they were in trouble, and they tried everything to alleviate the problem. You see, no, then the mariners were afraid. Which actually, can someone just go ahead and read uh, verse 5? Somebody go ahead. Is it not, it's not in your book then, I guess, is it? Yeah, it's chapter 1, verse 5. <clears throat> it says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to light them in of them. But Jonah was gone down to the side of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. 
You know, man tries to solve his own problem without God. That's what religion is. Pastors talked about that a lot before. Think of Paul in Romans 10, which is in your, um, in your notes there. You know, Paul poured out his heart to God concerning his people. Romans 10, 1 to 3. I don't remember where we left off. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Going about to establish their own righteousness. Solving their problem without God, basically. No, submitted is the operative word in that passage that was just read. Submission to that. Think about salvation. That is, salvation involves submission, doesn't it? Submission to God of realizing, admitting we cannot do it ourselves. Submitting to His way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I think that's the next one's on there. Did you read both? Or sure, that's good. Go ahead. You can go under both, that's good. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. No, as they say, it's not rocket scientist. <laughs> rocket science, that's rocket science. No. It can be simple, but it seems like our human nature knows to wait for a few boards to come off the ship before we wake up, isn't it, in situations in our life. So point three now, the something of sin. Well, I just told you the last one. There you go. Something of sin. Yes, it's the burden of sin. There you go. Sin has some heavy baggage with it. Of course, the world would say that it's hard to live the Christian life. And, of course, they're true in that by yourself. No, what is, but what does Christ say uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty? We stopped off on that. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. On the other side of that coin, God declares that the way of transgressors is hard. Proverbs 13. And then Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. So with the burden of sin, we have subpoint A. These start with a C, a something indifference. That is correct. Good job. First guess. A careless indifference. You know, as we saw at this point, you know, Jonah is now sleeping down in the boat. Which is kind of crazy. How could you be sleeping <laughs> when that's going on, you know? But you think about it. Think of people in hospital rooms and funeral parlors who still don't get it. You no know, sin has caused heartache sorrow, sickness, and even death, but they still don't care. Like, they still won't change. You know, sin has a way of blinding us to the truth. Uh, Isaiah 59.10. We grew up to the wall like a blind, and we grew up as if we had no eyes. 
Paul reminds us that our understanding of spiritual things can be diminished by sin in Ephesians 4.18. Having, <clears throat> having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. You know, Revelation 3.17, you know, talking to the church in Laodicea there, you know, again, Jesus speaking to them there, um, talking about you know, you're rich, you're increased with goods, have need of nothing. And you don't know, and know it's not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. There. Careless indifference. So then subpoint B here is something iniquity. It is another C, yes. A consequence. Another C. Instead of a careless indifference. Not careless iniquity. I'll start it up here. It's a shorter word. It's a costly iniquity. You know, carelessness never eliminates cost. Because you can stick your head in the sand and hope God goes away. But a holy God won't tolerate unholiness in his people. And we know that our sin affects others. Of course, you think about David and just all the situations and everything there. Because, again, so now think of Jonah's situation. In verse 6 of Jonah, um, chapter 1, someone will go ahead and read that if you're there. Go ahead, John. So the shipmaster came to him and said <coughs> unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God would think upon us that we perish not. So Jonah's careless indifference had affected the others on the ship. Here. Um, it says here that the damage from an earthquake is not limited to the epicenter, which is interesting. And this is interesting. One of the stories I was telling, telling you about last week it says, years ago, a pastor friend of mine and I went to a bar late at night on Long Island, New York. Thankfully, it continues. It doesn't stop right there. To find the husband of a Christian lady. It says that about one in the morning, we located him and got him to step outside. We pleaded with him to come home to his family, but to no avail. Finally, he stepped out into the street and stood in the midst of onrushing cars, looked up into the rain falling from the sky and said, go ahead and kill me, God. After not dying in the next five seconds, he came over and said to me, see, there ain't no God. I looked him in the eyes and said, or I looked at the author here, I looked him in the eyes and said, God's not going to kill you, you aren't worth killing. But he might just kill your little two-year-old daughter if you don't straighten up. It says that man sobered up instantly, came home with us, and was in church the next night. The realization of the cost of his iniquity had caused him to cease from his indifference. Now, Jonah's disobedience could have cost some men their lives, some wives, their husbands, some little children back home in Joppa, their daddies. Be sure your sin isn't costing you eternity or your family or your ministry. That's way too steep a price to pay for a boat ride from Joppa to Tarshish. So then the last point here, uh, main point four again, the something of the something. Again, this starts with a, a B and then the second um, word is an S. This kind of has to do with, um, where is it? 
not that one. It's um, probably going to be harder to get, but it's verse 10 is kind of might give you a little bit um, of a hint. The something of the something has to do with, um, think of Jonah's testimony in front of these people. Closer. Is that I kind of similar to that idea? Uh, the last word is sacred. The something of the sacred. Get an idea of thinking about his testimony. When you think about when the world, when the world sees a Christian sin or do something wrong, what does that tend to make them do? Makes them tend to something the sacred. Go. The belittling of the sacred. You know, because we're selfish by nature, we only think of the personal ramifications for our sin often. You know, what often escapes is the fact that, it's interesting here, what often escapes our responsibility is the fact that our sin has on God. Think of 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12. It's in uh, over there. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Having your conversations honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you uh, as evildoers, that they may be that... Uh, as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall be, shall behold, glorify God in the day, in the day of visitation. Most people never read a Bible, but they read our lives every day. They may never read a Bible, but they will, but they watch and will read your life, the story that you're reading, that you're writing with your life. Second Corinthians three two to three. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the, whole, with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And Paul also talks about later in 2 Corinthians, no, to give no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. So sub-point A here, a something confession and these both of these start with an H when it is honest that's correct an honest confession no in verse 9 Jonah finally gets honest of course they cast lots and they fall upon Jonah it's interesting think of Proverbs 16 33 um, I think it says the lot is cast into the lap but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. I think that's how that verse goes. Of course, you think of this situation here. Of course, Jonah's probably like, "There's no way they're gonna, <laughs> no way they're gonna figure out that it's me." 
Because you think, well, I guess because he's obviously up by this time because he's been probably rudely awakened by the captain. If you're the only one who's not up here, get up here and help us. So he has to come make an honest confession. I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. You know, every U-turn made in the direction of God starts with honesty. Proverbs 16.6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Mercy and truth. And we might as well be honest since God knows the truth anyway. It's more of being honest to yourself. Honest to yourself. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Of course, then you know, you know the verse, um, I think it's 412, I think the verse right before it, no, more to God's quick and powerful, it continues there. You know, honesty is a wise policy all the time. You know, 2 Corinthians 8.21, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Proverb, or Hebrews 13.8, I think that's the next one on there, Paul here, or most likely Paul here. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. So again, thinking of an honest confession here, honesty, it starts there. But then again, thinking of Jonah here, again, belittling of the sacred, we see an honest confession, but something, a something confusion. Again, this is the uh, this is more the response. Then, okay, once he's honest, the response of the mariners in verse ten. Not human. Horrible. horrible. That's correct. A horrible confusion. When Jonah reveals to these men who he is, they have a hard time understanding his disobedience. You know, they're asked. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Which is, I don't know, it's like, they're like confused. Okay, it's like, why? Why did you do this? And again, the unsaved here talking to the saved that knew better. A horrible confusion. On here. Uh, this is another interesting story here. It says, years ago, Dr. Bill Rice was preaching a revival meeting in a small town. He and his family were staying near the church, and one night after preaching, his wife informed him that they needed a couple of items from the store. He grabbed his wallet and the list and headed to a corner market just a couple of blocks down the street. <coughs> he entered the store and grabbed a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk and placed them on the checkout counter. It says, the lady at the register reached down under the counter and pulled out a Playboy magazine and placed it on the counter in front of the evangelist. She said, would you like anything else, sir? Dr. Rice, seeing the magazine and realizing what it was, quickly fixed his eyes on the lady and said, no, ma'am. She pushed the magazine a little closer to him and said, are you sure? Without changing his gaze, he emphatically said, yes, I'm sure. How much is the bread and the milk, please? The lady placed the magazine back under the counter, added the price of the two items, and gave him the total. 
He paid her the money, received his change, and grabbed the bag of groceries and headed for the door. As he reached for the door, the lady said, Have a good evening, Evangelist Rice. She'd been in the service that night, heard him preach, and decided to put him to the test. Thankfully, he passed. But I wonder how many times we've failed a test and no one's ever told us our grade. But they just chalked it up to another Christian hypocrite. It kind of hurts thinking about situations in our lives that nobody bothers to tell us our grade. Think of David. David's reminded by Nathan that his sin had given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. In uh, Romans 2.24, I think this is uh, Paul speaking of Israel. says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Paul speaking of Israel there. And the world has enough excuses for not trusting in Christ. Let's not let our lives get added to their list. But you know, thankfully, it doesn't end here in this situation, even with the specific situation that we're in right now with Jonah and the Mariners. It doesn't end right there, does it? It's still, there's still more to come. His, uh, the Lord still used his testimony and bad testimony there to still bring people to him. Think about that. God was going to do what God was going to do. Jonah had the op option to do it the easy way or the hard way, basically, in that. But his hard way, God still used it to get glory from it. So that's the end of lesson four. So lesson five for, for next week is, the title of that one is A, a Chastisement Revival, is what that one's called. So um, it's kind of crazy we're getting almost halfway through this already. We're still in chapter one, <laughs> as it's been said. But um, next week is a chastisement revival. So again, just recapping um, this week, we saw the, um, the blasting of the storm, and that we have an, there's an omnipotent creator, an overpowering circumstance. He can use whatever he wants, whatever he needs, whatever he needs to tailor to our situation to get attention. The breaking of the ship, we see that Man's refuge is vulnerable, and man's resolve is vain against God. We saw the burden of sin, how a careless indifference and a very costly iniquity in Jonah's life. <clears throat> and then that caused the belittling of the sacred. And honest confession from him brought a horrible confusion from them. So the... Um, aim kind of what we're going to look at tonight is let's not let that be us in that. Let's, when we do go wrong and God start, we see, see the warning signs, warning signs that we turn around at the first sign of, um, that he gives us. Proverbs 15, 5. A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that, re he that regardeth for proof is prudent. Let that be us. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for um, the lesson tonight. Think of um, Jonah's life. Again, how he was very set in doing what he was going to do. 
and you had to intervene, and you decided to intervene, intersect his life to get his attention. And in the midst of it, you used his decisions to still be a testimony to some unsaved mariners. And think of our lives, that we would um, serve you, and when we get off course, that we would turn back with the first sign of conviction or warning from you, and that we wouldn't continue proceeding down our path and getting to the point of Jonah does with where people belittle the sacred or blaspheme your name because of us. And um, help us never to get to that point. And ask you to give us safety as we travel home um, this evening and bring us back home again, uh, back here together again safely on Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen.